0: You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Who is God? How do we get to know him? All right. But first
1: of all, come with me to Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one. And verse 1, notice that, who is God? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He created the heaven and the earth, the heaven, in all its majesty. Think of all the stars that are there on a very dark night, which we can see sometimes. God created all of that by his hand. What a mighty God it is. Now, who is God? Well, first of all, we want to look at him as the creator, the great God of power, who made the heavens and the earth. Now, we won't turn this up, but you may like to take some of these quotes down. But in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, Thou art he, thou art, even thou art the Lord alone. Thou hast made the heaven and the heaven of the heavens with all their host. And in Jeremiah, chapter 33, verse 2, using the ESV version, it says, Thus saith the Lord who made the earth and the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. So he made the heavens and he made the earth. It's absolutely staggering. Just think of that work. We should indeed, well, it won't be possible just now because of all the cloud, but on a nice clear night, to look out at the stars. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. So, all those stars are named by the great God of heaven. He knows that. Because of his mighty strength, not one of them is missing. So, God is in charge, utterly in charge. This is the God we worship. Think of his power. Think of his greatness, my dear friends. The heavens contain, they say, and they don't really know, but 10 trillion billion very beautiful stars. Look at it. There's a little photograph with some of the powerful telescopes man has. Just think of it. This is our God who made them. But something else we need to know the universe is a very dangerous place to be very dangerous except in a few spots. In 2009 we saw how dangerous the universe were. Two galaxies that's a great communicate great group of stars, thousands of stars here they are collided. two galaxies smashed into each other boom came towards each other at a huge speed. And the consequence? Well, when they collided, they came in, some missed and went out like that. But those that didn't, they spread out like that, crashed in. Amazing. A huge collision took place. We saw that. The scientists saw that with their telescopes. So, you see, when you look at the universe... It's not a safe spot. Sometimes stars explode, releasing massive amounts of radiation. Here, 2007, a star exploded. Another one, photographed by the Hubble spaceship, exploding here. Incredible. It's a very dangerous space place out there. Very dangerous. We're hearing a bit of that now, aren't we? <laughs> Maybe that's emphasising it for us. A very dangerous space, but outer space much more so than here. All right? So, here's three of the galaxies. There's thousands, probably millions of galaxies, great accumulations of stars in the outer space out there. And only one type that we know of is safe. All are dangerous. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. Colliding into each other, releasing massive amounts of radiation. Huge collisions taking place. It's very dangerous indeed. But there's apparently only one galaxy we know of that... Well, it's not even safe itself, but it's only safe in one or two spots. It's safe in a few spots. It's safe, amazingly, where the Earth is. Amazingly, where the Earth is. There's the great creator... He's put us in a spot that's safe. And it's only safe between some of those wings in that galaxy. And that's where we are. And we're there, surrounding or going around one star, the sun. You see, so here are the heavens containing 10 trillion billion very beautiful stars. But God is clearly in charge, supremely powerful. The heavens declare the glory of God. So if you want to know much about the God that you're worshipping, go out at night, a really dark night, and look at the stars. We use a great telescope like they have done here to photograph this. And you can see the majesty of the great creator that we serve. What a wonderful God he is. The heavens declare his glory. It's truly amazing. Brethren and sisters, young people, friends. But who is God? Well, he was the creator, but he is also very caring. Very caring. And that's wonderful to know. Psalm 34 says this, "O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. That's what we've got to be. That's what we're called to tonight. To see the greatness of God. And his love and care towards us. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says, Whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Do you do that? Are you doing that? That's what you should be doing. Putting your trust in the great God of heaven. The mighty creator who has made all things. But now, we're still probably in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven... And the earth. And the earth where we are. Look at the danger of the heavens out there. Probably made, yes, long, long ago. But he organised the earth and made the earth at the time of creation. Isaiah 40 says this. Maybe we could turn it up. You look with me to Isaiah 40 and verse 12. Just think of this as we're looking this quote up when we turn to it. That God measured the heavens and decided on where the earth would be. Oh, it's truly amazing. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12. Look at this. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out the heavens, there it is, with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, all of it weighed out, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord? or being his counsellor, have taught him. You know, there's the great God we worship. An amazing God indeed. The great God of creation. But the creation of the earth was not a casual act. It was a, There was a plan in place. God was fulfilling a purpose that he had with this earth. In Hebrews chapter 1, we won't turn to it, verse 10, it says, Thou, Lord, in the beginning... Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. has laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. So he made this earth as well as the heavens. Amazing event. Now, look at verse 28 of this same chapter. Look what it says. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? He's challenging us. That the everlasting God... The Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There's no searching of his understanding. Now we're going to see that in a second. His wisdom is profound. And it's seen in the earth and where it is. There's the sun in its relative size. And there are the planets in their relative size. It's laid out for us, but squeezed together so we can get them in the one picture. All of it's laid out like that. Isn't that amazing? There's our solar system, okay? And a gentleman many, many years ago who believed in the Bible, Sir Isaac Newton, said this, this is the most beautiful system could could only proceed from an intelligent and powerful being. There we are, one of the most intelligent scientists of all time. As he looked out in the heavens, he says, look, And looked out upon our solar system. It could only be done by somebody hugely intelligent and hugely powerful. Amazing. Utterly amazing. That's the God we worship. Now, let's look at our neighbours. The neighbours... The nearest neighbour planet is Venus. Some of you may have noticed Venus over in the western sky lately. Very close to... I think it's Jupiter... And uh, it's been quite amazing to be able to see them over the last couple of nights. But Venus is closer to the sun, so it's a touch warmer than here on the Earth. Could anybody tell me how hot Venus is? Any of the young ones? Please? 460 degrees centigrade. What temperatures does water boil at? 100. So all the sea would boil. 400 degrees, most of the land would melt. And so would we if we were in Venus. They were going to land at Venus May, back in the 1960s or 70s. They were going to send a satellite there. It was impossible. They realised that. So there's our neighbour, a little bit closer to the sun. There's our the one a little bit distant from the sun. Do you like cold weather? Well, if you go to Venus at Mars, What's that temperature? Minus 60 degrees centigrade. If you went outside, you'd be frostbite instantly. You might even die with the clothing we're on. Within about 5, 10 minutes, you'd be dead. There is our neighbours, a bit further away from the sun than we are. But now let's look at us. Now let's look at us. We are in what the scientists call the Goldilocks zone. The ideal zone. Look, here's Venus, too hot. Here's Mars, too cold. And we are just in the right spot. Just in the right spot. There's the work of our Creator. There's the evidence that there is a God. And that He is wise and caring. Wise and caring. But as well as that, this might be a bit of a lofty idea for some of you, but... The Sun, millions of miles from the Earth, but we squeeze them there together to put them in the one picture. The Sun gives off radiation, deadly radiation, charged particles. Those charged particles are terribly dangerous, but our Earth doesn't cop them. Well, it gets 0.1% of what collides with the area of the Earth. It gets diverted. Anybody like to tell me why it gets diverted? Here's the radiation that comes across here like this and goes up over here, off here like this. Misses the Earth. Does anybody know why? The magnetic field of the Earth does so. So if you get a wire and it's carrying DC electricity and you put a magnet behind it, it'll push away or be attracted towards it. The Earth's magnetic field protects us. A few years ago, only a few years ago, they flew a spaceship to Mars... When they sent it to Mars, as it got outside the Earth's magnetic field, it was being bombarded with massive amounts of radiation. And they were utterly shocked. Utterly shocked. Space radiation, a threat to astronauts. The Earth's magnetic field shields the planet from, listen, 99.9% of the harmful radiation. Aren't we cared for? Equal to us... And to protect it, if a man wanted to get to Mars, he'd need a spaceship, a, a, a space made of steel around him, one metre thick to get there safely, to stop the radiation getting through. How would you like to walk with a spacesuit, a metre thick of steel? I don't think I could do it, but some of you might be able to. There we are. That's what they're saying. One metre thick. And the people running it, the Van Allenbrook mission scientists, said, this is completely new. We certainly didn't expect this. They were utterly amazed, too, at our Earth, how amazing it is. So that magnetic field diverts the deadly radiation away from us. Oh, amazing, amazing. Well, oh, I don't know I pressed the wrong button then for a moment. Okay. So, God is supremely powerful. He has made all those heavens, and He has put us in the only safe spot known. What an amazing God we have, and He's caring, very caring for us, as we saw, in putting us in the Goldilocks zone. Isn't that incredible? Utterly incredible what God has done for us. Then, how did we get to know? How then do we get to know the great God of heaven? Will you turn back with me to Genesis chapter 1, and this time come with me to verse 26. But as you turn that up, I want you to first note that the Bible is inspired. It has been written and caused to be written by that great creator that we talked about before. He is utterly inspired. This is why this Bible is called the Holy Bible, or the Holy Book. There's no book in the world like it. Contained 66 books, written by 40 authors, from shepherds to kings. They lived up to 3,000 kilometres from each other at different times. Some lived 500 years apart from others, so they weren't talking necessarily to each other. Spoke different languages, but all spoke the same inspired message. Sent to them and given to them and put into their heads and minds by God. You see, why did they speak the same message? All scripture is given by inspiration of that great God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness. Why? That the man of God, that might be us, man, woman, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's what this book's all about, to prepare us for the kingdom. So now, look back to Genesis 1, verse 26. And probably if you haven't got some of these points written down in your margin in pencil, you ought to. But look what it says there. And God, the Hebrew word Elohim, said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them that have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. There was his purpose with man. Now, He said, make him in our image. He was made us in the image of his angels, his mighty ones, his Elohim. God made us in his image. You know, on one occasion, the Lord appeared unto Abraham. He appeared unto Abraham. It's up here on the PowerPoint. He appeared unto Abraham while he sat in the tent door, and in the heat of the day, Lo, three men, they were angels, stood by him. Abraham, for a while, didn't realise this till they started to speak of things that nobody else knew about but an angel sent from God. And he saw them and he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, Lo, Sarah, my wife shall have a son. That's what he was told and he believed it. So here is the angel's. Psalm, Psalm 10 verse 12 says, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand. So the angels, manifesting God, have hands. He bowed, his heaven, bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet. So we are made in the image of the angels. Can easily be mistaken, a man, for an angel. There might be one to you tonight for we winner. It can be so. They look like men. But then, having made us like his angels, the next thing we find out, that he made us so that we have the likeness. And that word likeness there refers to the mental capacity that we have a brain that has the potential to be filled with knowledge and understanding like the angels. Look, first the Corinthians, we won't turn it up, but chapter 11, verse 7 says... For a man indeed being in the image of the glory of God. See, so that was us, men, in the image of the glory of God. And the aim is that, yes, we look like the angels, but we go further than what we are now and fill our brains with spiritual things so that we are like the angels mentally. That's the great purpose that's for us now. It's vital. It's essential. Now, you may like to turn this up. We're not coming back to Genesis now. But if you come with me to Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 to 15, we come to a section that maybe if you haven't got something jotted down in your margin, you might find an opportunity to do this. And Moses said unto God, When I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers have sent me unto you, and they shall say unto me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? God said unto Moses, I am that I am. That's what the King James Bible says. And then he goes on, say this unto the children of Israel. I am have sent you, sent me unto you. This is my name forever. So the name of God is, strangely, I am that I am. All right, now what does that mean? Let's look at this a little bit closer. The Hebrew word actually is in the future tense. It really should have been, I will be who I will be. So if you haven't got that down, that's worth noting. So the Old Testament word, Hebrew word, Lord, when it's in capitals, used about 6,000 times in the Old Testament, is the Hebrew there. Oh, if you want to write down the Hebrew, there we are. Some of you might have done some Hebrew a couple of years ago at Heritage and know a little bit more than me. But there we are, Yod, Heth, Vav, Hef. There's the Hebrew name of God. All right? And it means he who will be or he who will be manifest. That's what it implies. So how's it to be manifest? In us, brethren and sisters and young people. That's what God wants. Us to be a manifestation of him. Now, that's brought home to us in the names and titles of deity. Now, we haven't got all of it up there. We've only got a little bit of a pricey there. But there's that word, Yahweh or Lord. He who will be, or he who will be manifest. But very often it's written as Lord of hosts. Okay? And uh, it's Yahweh, which means that God has manifested in huge numbers, which could be even an army of people in Israel, or even today. Who knows? So he is ref- reflected and re- seen in their action, in, he, in that he works in them and affects their minds. Other titles, God, can be ale quite often. just means might or power. Of course, we've looked at that, haven't we? God is a great God of might and power. But sometimes it's the word alola. Oh, mighty one. Maybe one angel. It may refer to God himself. And then that word we looked at earlier in the piece, God in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, is Elohim. It means mighty ones and normally refers to the angels who work on God's behalf. So he is manifested in one, two, and in power. What an incredible thing, brethren and sisters and young people, how amazing that is. Now, if I'm going a little fast and you'd like me to pause, you could just indicate like that if you want to get this down, otherwise I'm going to push on. No waving of hands. All right, well, you're very welcome. I could put this page up again at the end if you like. Anyhow, but he was manifested in one man perfectly. And we're told that in Psalm 8, which is picked up and quoted in the New Testament. I think it's Hebrews chapter 2, in reference to Jesus. And Psalm 8, maybe turn it up. It's a beautiful psalm. Wonderful psalm. Many years ago I tried to learn it off by heart. I don't know if I'd keep I can say it all together now, but I thought it was a beautiful psalm. And of course, here it is. It refers to the Lord Jesus Christ primarily, who is a manifestation of Christ. Uh, Sorry, it's who is a manifestation of God. Now this, as I said to you, is quoted in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, in reference to Jesus. And so, Psalm 8, let's pick it up, and we won't read all of it. Maybe we'll read just what we see on the PowerPoint. Verse one: O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set, who has set thy glory above the heavens. How excellent is thy name. That name is going to be manifested in other individuals, but firstly in Jesus. Verse 3. When I consider the heavens, that work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast made, or which thou hast ordained. That's what we've done when we looked earlier. What is man that thou art mindful of him? We're nothing, aren't we? Ha. And the son of man that thou visitest him. But God did. God did. For thou hast made him, particularly Jesus, a little lower than the angels for the time being, and has crowned him with glory and honour. Of course, now he is elevated to the right hand of God. Our reading today, Psalm 110, verse 1. He sits at God's right hand. Thou hast made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. O Lord, our Lord, verse 9, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Because he is working with individuals and wants them to manifest him. And he has worked first with Jesus, the Son of God. Mary was told by the angel that she would have a, a that Jesus would be born by the by God's spirit working on her, and that that child would be called Emmanuel. Why? God with us. Here is the manifestation of God in our midst. Then, Lord God, what, God work with him. Now, I reckon this is worth turning up. Come with me to Isaiah forty, uh, fifty. I think this is just so beautiful. How did God work with this one? Well, he might not be working the same way with us, but he can a little. I'll tell you in a moment. But look at Isaiah 50, verse 4. The Lord God hath given me, and he's addressing Jesus, the tongue of the learned, that I might know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. Now listen to this. He waketh me, he wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear as the learned, as a young man. Before he went on his mission journey, the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, as he woke every morning, God, probably working through an angel, would whisper in his ear, teaching him, teaching him, teaching him, teaching him. Do you know he can do the same to us? If we wake up every morning or every night, we do the daily readings. God's talking to us through the God's word. And it can change our thinking, and we can be like, come not as good as Jesus, of course, but in some ways, reflect the qualities of God that we've learnt. So the Lord waketh at my ear, morning by morning, to hear as the learned, and He can do that for us. So there, while a child, Jesus was only a child of twelve years old, He went down to Jerusalem with His family. Remember, I think it was the Passover, and they were astonished. The leaders of Israel were utterly astonished when they heard him speak. His incredible wisdom, even at 12 years of age. God's word had an impact upon him. We might have another boom in a second. I heard a fl- saw a flash. Who knows what we're going to see? So that was Jesus at 12. And later on, he utterly put them to silence. Maybe I'll turn the quote up for you. But if you like, you can come with me to Matthew chapter 22, verse 46. He was incredibly wise. Pick up with verse 45. And his answer of David then called him Lord. How is he God's son? And no man was able to answer him a word. Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. You think of it. There's his incredible wisdom. Here's all these Pharisees and Sadducees who studied the Bible all their life and thought they understood it. But this one was far wiser than all because he had the word of God in his mind. And that's what we need to be doing. So, Jesus was the son of the Lord. God's name means I will be whom I will be. Okay? What about Jesus? In John chapter 14, Jesus saith unto him, that's unto Philip, Have I been so long with you, and durst you not know me, Philip? He that hath seen me, listen to this, hath seen the Father. How sayest thou, show us the Father? Well, he was the Son of the Father, who reflected the thinking of the Father in every way, so he didn't sin. And in a small way, that's what we can do today through the influence of God's word, through our daily readings, through our Sunday school, through our learning at school, through our coming to the Bible class, coming to the lectures, we can learn of God and reflect God's qualities. Jesus said another time, we're not far from it, come across to John 17. In John chapter 17, Jesus said that he was a, manifestation, that's a reflection of God John 17 verse 6 And we read there I have manifested thy name and that name speaks of his character unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world thine they were and thou gavest me and they have kept thy word so there they listened to Jesus they learned and they began to keep the word that's what we should be doing then verse 11 and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, heavenly father. Keep, thou, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. So you see, there went the apostles forward. They went forth and preached the word of God. And in many regards, we've still got it here, brethren and sisters, what they preached and can have the same impact upon us if we pay attention to God's word. We can become one in some way with God, with God's Son, manifesting God's ways in this dark and degenerate world in which we live. So now come back with us to the reading, to Exodus chapter 33. And as we come to Exodus chapter 33, our focus now is more particularly upon us. Previously, I was focusing more upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But now more particularly upon us. And here in Exodus chapter 33, remember Moses had gone up into the mount for 40 days and then came down when they'd sinned. And then he went back and he said, look, God, I want to see thy glory. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 18. And he, Moses said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. You want, I want to know my, what my glory is? It's my goodness. Now, remember that. We're going to come back to that in a minute. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. That's my glory, my goodness, and my name. And will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and we'll show mercy on whom I shall show mercy. So now, what does that mean? How can we do that? How can that help us? Well, now look at Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7. And the Lord passed by before Moses and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim, merciful. Now listen, here's what God is. Here's what he's like. Here's his character. And remember, he will be manifest in mighty ones who do this. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and who and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. So what is God like? He's merciful. He showed seven prime qualities there. Mercy, grace, slow to anger, bounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping love for thousands, and forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, but will not follow the ways of wicked. Will not follow the wicked ways. There's God's ways, and that should be our ways. And if we do so, then we reflect the divine qualities of God. Then we are fulfilling that name to some degree. He who will be manifesting mighty ones, which can be us because we reflect those qualities. The New Testament is quite fascinating. Come with me to Romans chapter 11, if you like. It will be on the PowerPoint if you're taking notes. But in Romans chapter 11, I think that very beautifully brings that together. Romans 11, talking to Jews, the Jewish nation. And he says there in verse, we'll start with verse 21. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. So he says, don't be like them, like natural Israel. Behold, therefore, the goodness. We saw those seven qualities. Let's come back a moment. Well, The first six, there's the goodness. And then the severity of God on them who who fell severity. But toward their goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. What happened to many of the nation of Israel? They were cut off. God showed mercy, goodness, to those who followed those wonderful characteristics. But those who failed to do so and refused to do so amongst Jewry, they will be. Experience the severity of God. Look at the terrible sufferings Israel has had down through time. As they turn their back upon God, they have suffered greatly. Let us be individuals who manifest the goodness and quality of God today. We're going to see how we can do so more in a fraction of a second. So the believers become the sons of God. We won't turn this up, but in John chapter 17, verse 3, this is life eternal that they, and we pray that's us, might know thee the only true god how do we know him because we know his qualities his characteristics the way he works and we've seen it perfectly manifested in his son even the lord jesus christ that they might know thee the only true god and jesus christ you know at one point three of the disciples went up onto the mount of transfiguration they saw moses and elijah and then finally they disappeared And the glory of Jesus was seen. And then finally, as they came down, the Spirit, word said to them, Hear ye him. That is Jesus Christ. He is the best manifestation. Hear ye him. And then as they were walking in the way to Jerusalem many years, a year or so later on, the word of God said, Follow him. That's what we need to do. Hear what he says through reading our daily readings and listening to them, harking to them, remembering it, and following it by trying to do it in our life today. Beloved, now are ye the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we we shall be. That's in the kingdom age. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Why? Well, we'll be like him in that we are manifesting his qualities and characteristics which come from the scriptures. We have Heard him, we've followed him, and we're walking in his ways today. So that we are a wonderful blessing in the kingdom age. There's supposed to be the upper room, but there will be that in the kingdom age. We will sit down with the Lord Jesus Christ and eat the bread and the wine in the kingdom age. What a prospect we have before us! But now, being one with God and Jesus Christ, John 17 says, I do not ask you ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. So he says, Jesus says, I'm not asking just for my disciples, but I'm asking for disciples down through the ages, that they may all be one, us, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that ye have sent me. The glory that you have seen you have given me, I have given to them. We know how that we've got it. Through hearing what he said. By following him, that we may be one even as we are, they may be one even as we are one. That we all might be one in that kingdom age. United in thoughts, united in work, united in the ways in which we follow. That's what we must be doing, brethren and sisters. So here's the message. There's God, the great creator of the heavens and the earth. And what did he do? He worked through his angels and also particularly through Jesus Christ. And the consequence was that it spread through the world to human beings. We pray like ourselves. I will be who I will be. He will be manifested in us if we follow those wonderful qualities and characteristics. And the consequence? Yahweh became one in a multitude. It's repeatedly said that, but you look with me to first Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse eight. First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse eight. How could it become one? Well it's a one a multitude of one. Verse 28 and when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. And it goes on to speak about the believers, that they will be one with Christ. They'll be a multitudinous community, but one in that they stand along that line following that one quality and characteristic. That's what we need to be doing. That's what we need to be doing. Dr. Thomas, many years ago, and I think I can read to all you because we're Christadelphians here, said this, In the Herald of the Kingdom Age, he said, man was not ushered into being for the purpose of being saved or lost, simply. God manifestation was the key purpose. Not human salvation was the grand purpose of the eternal spirit. So we manifest God. And if we do that, then we shall be saved. But he goes on to say, the salvation of a multitude is incidental to the manifestation, but it was not the end proposed. The eternal spirit intended to enthrone himself on earth and in so doing to develop a divine family. There it is. Christ, the believers in that day and ourselves as one united family, as we saw a moment ago. Family from among men. And this family will be large enough to fill the whole earth when perfected. God will take out, is taking out from the human race now, people. People. God will take out from the human race as many for his name as his purpose requires. So God is working. The time is running short. God is working now in dramatic ways. And so let us prepare. We can see, can't we, the kingdom's coming. Christ will come and become the ruler of this world. The earth will be ruled. will be a wonderful world. And we'll be part of that rulership community true justice will reign from one end of the earth to the other there will be worldwide peace one language one worldwide religion yes everybody then will manifest God all worship the one true God not some silly trinity there will be genuine security with no violence agricultural plenty nobody who is starving and even the wilderness will be productive Outback of Australia will just blossom. Like Siberia and such like. And areas like the Middle East. Everything will blossom. It will be a wonderful kingdom in that day. Just wonderful. And so the consequence of that is seen as the Bible closes. Maybe this we could turn up as our last quote. Come with me to Revelation chapter 21. Oh, beautiful. 21 second the last chapter the wonderful time for the sons of men and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying behold the tabernacle of God is with men so God is dwelling with men through the angels through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the saints they that manifest him and he will dwell with them And they shall be his people. What a wonderful prospect. Then verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. What we're seeing today will be gone. It will be a wonderful kingdom in the future age. Established at Jerusalem. This wonderful temple shall be built. And we can be part of it. But we must manifest God's ways now. We must manifest God's ways now. And the consequence, then, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. But now, my dear brethren, sisters and young people, what do we need to do to be saved? Jesus' last words spoken through the angels that stood there as he ascended into heaven were effectively this. He said unto them, He said unto us, Go you into all the world and hear the gospel. Every creature of us, let us all hear it. Those ones that believe and are baptized shall be saved, but those that believe not shall be condemned. I've changed it a little, but I'm sure you can understand what I'm saying. It's critical for us. There it is. Jesus ascended from heaven. His last final message through that angels standing there. And what did he say? There's three essential steps if you want to be in that beautiful kingdom coming. What are they? Number one, believe the gospel. The things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. We've seen a little bit of the kingdom, the amazing creation that God has made on this earth and in the heavens above. What it's going to be like on this earth. And we've heard a little bit about the things concerning his name, his manifestation. We've got to believe and be baptised total immersion in water, denying the ways of the flesh and dedicating ourselves in the ways of righteousness. And then, we, if we so do so and continue faithfully, then we shall be in God's kingdom shortly to be established upon this earth. The days are short, my dear brethren and sisters and young people. Let us zealously seek that way while we've got the opportunity. Thank you.